people say prostitution is the oldest profession. I think it's tied with wrestling. <laughs> I mean that. I think it could be. <laughs> and are they not kind they of? They often the- happen at the same time. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, Mark. History. I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History. I'd like to. Welcome to HILF, History I'd Like to Fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. And we're together in the den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great podcasts in the den, click the link in our show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Now, today we're hilfing a chapter from professional wrestling. And whether you love it or you hate it, or you just saw that Iron Claw movie with hot twat Zach Efron, and you're suddenly like a little wrestling curious, this hilf is for you. It had me pinned. All right, that's for sure. Now, our focus, the wrestling story known as the Montreal Screwjob, took place in 1997 and was a real-life, behind-the-scenes drama involving some of the biggest names in the sport. Brett the Hitman Hart, Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon, all right? It was violent and mysterious, controversial, and even to those who freely admit that wrestling is fake, it was real enough to change the sport and television forever. (laughs) My guests are two guys who love the world of wrestling and the world of rock bands and whiskey and podcasting and bacon. Um, Jimmy G and Mike Wayman are the co-hosts of the hit podcast, Bacon is my podcast. And uh, that makes this a three-way, baby. (laughs) Let's get started. I'm so excited about you guys. Let me tell my listeners, first of all, how cool this is, because it's like one of my first, I'm calling it my Hilfage Toi, because I haven't done oh, a three-way. Oh, that's so really fancy. Hot, right? Like, I've done remote recording, and I've had, I had one episode where I had my mom and my two sisters, so I've had, like, multiple. Yeah, really I heard that one. Call it that. You can't really call it that with your mom and your two sisters. Right. Although, yeah. the changes content. Things. We were I mean, talking about vibrators for sure, but yeah, that was it was a vibrator like, episode. Yeah, it was hot, but yeah, not incest starts to get like, mm. <laughs> but stranger orgies, everybody loves those. That's a win, win, win. <laughs> and I feel like I'm jumping into bed. You guys are in bed together all the time. Oh yeah, we, we are. We were yes. in bed together last night. Tell me we, everything. We were. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started with a movie. Classic. Yes. Yes. And then listening to music in the car. Sure. We brushed each other's hair you know for a couple hours, the usual. It was a Thursday. That's right. That's right. You know. <laughs> Whispering sweet nothings to each other oh, for a little while. It's the best. Um, yeah. And you guys are in New York. We are not only recording remotely, we're in different time zones. I, I wanted to drink bourbon with you guys, but I just, it was a little too early for me. So. Well, when we, do, yeah. when we do our show, we do it a little bit later. I mean, it, it's still early i I guess i guess we would have toughed it out oh absolutely and let's be honest we have some time i'm not saying it's not happening at like 9 45 isn't that yeah i mean i smoked a little grass but that's just way there you go there you go right tell me how you started bacon is my podcast what brought you guys together you uh you you want to take this one the the youtube site (laughs) oh you guys are so sweet We're both songwriters, we're both singers in separate bands, and we've been friends for, for many years. 
our bands have played lots of shows together. Um, and we decided at one point we were going to get together and write some music together and see how that went. And we wrote like a whole record and, and then our bands both got busy again. And so that like a couple of years went by and then it was kind of like a, uh, Hey, we should probably do something with these songs and we should figure something out. And then we had this opportunity. I, I got an opportunity to write a song for an independent film that was a vampire movie. Yes. And, uh, and I was talking to him and I was like, Hey, would you want to, write a song for a vampire movie and he was like yes i would like that that would be good <laughs> so uh we got back together and we we did that we did that and like all our stuff was written in like a day um tell i have to know more we about going, the vampire movie i really i, I will I have to, I, 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 yes <laughs> we're dying <laughs> um it's a song uh, you can listen to the song right now it's uh there's a there's a band element to this too called bacon is my passion and we have three yes. songs out now on uh spotify we're recording an ep yes. but the song is called death be a woman and uh and it is uh we we had the mindset of like the dust till dawn scene mm. uh the the bar scene mm. um Everybody knows the bar scene, yes. With so the we were spurs. like Tito and the tarantulas with the spur. Yep. Yeah. So and and the like best part, kind of the best part too about this was Jimmy. Not only he texted me, he's like, "Hey, we've got this cool opportunity." I'm like, "Yes, let's do it." And then he showed up, and he's like, "We got to write and record this in ten days." Whew. Yes. Yes. And the movie is still not out, by the way. That's cool, man. Right. I can't wait to which hear is this why, wait. Which is why we released it. And then COVID. Yes. <laughs> so, heard of it. Uh, yeah, so uh, so that stopped the movie. Hmm. Uh, it also stopped, um, you know, Earth, yeah. and uh, and so we also kind of found out that like when we were getting together to do any of these writing sessions, it was usually about an hour to two hours of us drinking and bullshitting first, uh, <laughs> and that became kind of more fun. <laughs> well, just yeah. as fun. And then we had friends that were like, oh, my God, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. And we were just like, do you want to record us doing this? Yeah, that and, happens. And yeah. do That's that so cool. since we can't do anything else right now. And, uh, and then Mike had the idea of like, hey, I'm going to reach out to some people and see if I can get some people to talk with us. And mm -hmm. people started saying yes, and it turned into a thing. Now, now we have the... The Bimp Lounge. And the Bimp we Lounge. Talk to it's bands so fun. And, <laughs> and you know, it's tricky because there are, as you guys are well aware, a lot of podcasts that start that way. People sitting around bullshitting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They find each other very amusing and their friends find them very amusing. And they say exactly what you just said, set up a podcast. And then they do. And then we find ourselves kind of awash in like a sea of like conversational, over talking, long meander, and you get like, oh no. And then though, you find the gems like yours where the conversation goes places, it's interesting, you're bringing people cool and new interesting voices in. One of the things I love most is you guys have like two kinds of episodes. You have the one that mm -hmm. is more free flowing, meandering conversation that where you guys are just sort of free to let whatever come in. And then you also have guests where you specifically ask them the seven questions, you, you know, these highly curated yes. questions to get, as <laughs> yeah. you say, to the essence of them. Right. Um, yes. So uh, tell me, how do you how do you curate uh, seven questions to get to the to the sizzly, delicious essence of a person? One of the things that we wanted to do was uh, do like almost like a promo piece to to kind of get our listeners, uh, you know, especially with musicians. Right. <clears throat> You, you get our listeners that are going to be exposed to these people. Like, why should our audience give a shit about 
whoever we're bringing on if they're they've never heard of them before you sure. know we, we bring a lot of independent artists on so uh what we do is we have them answer these seven questions and then people will get a chance to like okay these people are leaning into it they sound like it's going to be a fun conversation yeah. they'll go check out their music or check out their work and then they'll come back on monday and and you know see what else we have in store for them as far as how we uh how he curated them uh, jimmy was that was that like early ai <laughs> <Is> uh. that... <laughs> no i actually actually no it's it was uh shamelessly um ripping off the idea from uh, stephen colbert uh Great. because he had the colbert questionnaire <laughs> and, and and that you can find online and so i i looked at that and i was like oh man that's awesome you you, you can ask people the same questions it's a quick little bite size mm version of who they are and if we make the questions fun and interesting or thought-provoking or dumb um it might it might get you know inspire some conversation yeah so it was that and then it wasn't ai it was me literally googling over and over again uh ideas for questions and and listening to things and like i had a list of like i think i sent you the 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 list right of like there was like 50 questions and it was like okay we gotta pick like the seven of these and that's so smart you know i used to do a live show in a trailer park in los angeles uh in a (laughs) van nuys it was called the trailer trash talent review Mm -hmm. and i lived in the trailer park so it was all very authentic and i would bring people up from the audience by drawing their names out of a hat and uh they were all wild you know people living in a trailer park in la so who knew and uh i found uh this list on the new york times had generated, you guys might remember this, this was a few years ago, they generated a list of 36 questions, and they said that if you sat face-to-face with another human being, and you each answered these 36 questions in turn, by the time you got to the end, you would fall in love with each other. That it was, like, inevitable. I, I do inevitable. remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah, And there, were, and there were all yeah, these journalists that were like, oh, come on, and then they'd do it, and they fucking fell in love, and they'd be like, uh, well, it was a year ago, and we're married now, or, you know, we dated, right. we moved in together. And I was like, try me. You know, I'm happily married, but I'm like, let's dance, <laughs> right. you know? And so I would pick a few out of the 36 questions, and I was like, we can't fall in love with each other. Nobody has that kind of time, but let's, like, Ooh, right. you know, let's answer a few and just see what happens, you know? Um, and so I just love that because I think that the bottom line is when you are authentically curious about someone else, it is attractive, you know? Yeah. Right. Your podcast came into the den, of course, the deluxe edition network. Yeah. yeah. And you guys, when we first met, um, I can't remember if it was Mike or Jimmy reached out and you were like, hey, we're in the den and we just started listening to podcasts and we took you on a road trip with us. <laughs> you were like, you just so, wanted to let me know yes. that like you had listened to some Hilf episodes. And it was it was legitimately not supposed to be a um, it wasn't supposed to be a road trip. So we we had just joined the den like that weekend and we were in Cleveland and we had a flight home that was canceled that day. So we ended up going all right yeah. well screw it it it's a eight hour drive let's get a rental car and drive home and uh we ended up getting stuck on you <laughs> probably what, what was it like yes four or five episodes I think oh, there were like four or five oh. episodes yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh that girl's my toes i love that man and it was so cool because then you reached out and you were like we're, we're new and we like hilf and here's our podcast and i i was like oh i get it and so i was like well let's do this i ask you what's your hilf and you were like, 
bacon. And they were like, what's your bacon? And I was like, history. This is crazy. We're totally doing this. We're totally doing that was, the same thing. And that was legitimately in the car on yeah. the way We were like, home. we're pretty much yeah. the same. And I am like this. I'm a vegetarian on the left coast. And I could not be more into your bacon. You know what I mean? Because I get it. I totally <laughs> right, right. get what you're talking about. You know what I mean? But I was like, okay, so when you guys come on my podcast... What do you want to fuck? And you were so sweet. You were like, well, here's the things we're into. Like, these are the things we usually talk about. But then you were like, but if you want us to pick like something, quote unquote, history, you know, for you, let us know what. And it was like, I love that because, you know, my thing is history is everything. Right. So you don't right. have to like yeah. dig deep for something in black and white to to get me naked, you know. And so I, I was like, well, I think we're going to meet in the middle. And so we're doing pro wrestling. Right. Because you guys are into pro wrestling. It's one of your top five things. I was like, let's fuck pro wrestling. Now, as you've listened to a few episodes, one of the things you know that I do is I generally right ask you why you chose the hilf. But in this case, I sort of was part of the claw machine game (laughs) that like chose chose the hilf for you. So I'm going to tell you first why I love pro wrestling. And then I want to hear from you guys. Okay, because. One of the reasons why of your catalog, I thought pro wrestling would be so much fun to fuck is because I used to love it when I was a kid. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, pre-MTV, you know, pre-cable. And so wrestling was a huge part of like our television viewing. And me and my older sisters had our favorites, The Undertaker, The Bushwhackers, definitely like Bret Hart, Shawn, all this whole era, you know, but it was still like, it was hot for us before Monday night or before Nitro and before all that stuff. So, um, and I, and I also love love. And I think that one of the things that epitomizes professional wrestling is it is one of the places where contemporary men in the West can freely love an art form and become truly immersed in like loving love and be, have a huge community around them, you know? And it just may, I just, it curls my toes. I think, I think it's great. Um, why did, why do you guys love wrestling? Uh, well, for me, honestly, it's like ever ever since I was a kid, the very first time I ever saw it, I just thought it was cool because it was like these uh, super bigger than life, colorful characters. And, you know, it was like Macho Man Randy Savage and, and Bret Hart was one of my mm. favorites and all that. But then um, my dad also brought me to see, like when I first started getting into it, he brought me to see some independent show that was in our, like in the high school gym in our town uh i grew up i grew up kind of all over the place but uh at that time i was living in rochester new hampshire and then um we moved to indiana so i grew up in the middle of uh, nowhere indiana so not far Mm. from not far from wisconsin sure we had similar uh, winters (laughs) (laughs) yep yep very similar winters um so i was at this uh, i don't know i was at this show at this independent show and there were the good guys and the bad guys and i was getting frenzied into like the crowd chanting and yelling and screaming and just that it just was super fun and and that's what drew me to music too was like the the camaraderie and the and the experience and uh and i actually remember i had to be like maybe eight or nine you know and and we a match ended and they came out of the ring and we were up front and i and i was up there and you could like get up close because it was these independent shows mm. and i'm patting a wrestler on the back mm. so i was like good job man <laughs> and the other one attacked 
And I was like in the middle of it, <laughs> and, they, and they started attacking. Oh, what a dream! And uh, and I, and I just remember like being so excited on the way home, and I couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. And I couldn't like not, I couldn't not watch wrestling again after that. I was just like, oh my god, it was so cool! This yeah. was the greatest thing in the world. It was amazing. <laughs> and and so yeah, uh, I just I just kind of like got so into it, and I wasn't. Um, you know, I went to a WrestleMania. I went to a couple different things, uh, a couple different live events, and it's just been such a cool. I don't know. It's kind of followed me around too. Like I, yeah. I when I moved to New York, I met people that were wrestlers, and a wrestler used one of my band's songs as their theme song. Oh, like all cool. these kind of things that just kind of just kind of happened. You know. Yeah, the world uh, keeps I, intersecting with you in various ways. Yeah, it's just it's fun. You know, yeah. I like anything that I can lose myself in mm. for a little bit. That I that I don't have to like get get wrapped around. Yeah, dig. What about you, Mike? For, for me, it, it kind of similar. Like it, the reason why I started watching is my, like my grandparents. I'd be there like Saturday mornings, and uh, they didn't have cable, but they had ne- regular network television. What was on on a Saturday morning after you're done watching Ninja Turtles? It was like, <laughs> oh, wrestling wrestling's on. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll watch this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just I, I just remember finding out that like oh there's more than just this show on saturday morning and then i started i found out about monday night raw and i remember being in elementary school and not being allowed to be up that late <laughs> but kind of sneaking the tv Ugh. and uh i watched dangerous uh, bret hart versus the one two three kid and i remember watching the match itself and it was like it was like a half hour plus yeah and and it took up the whole show, but it told this like really awesome story. Yeah. And from that moment on, I was like, "That's hooked, it. done, hooked." That's it. I also remember yeah. caring so deeply, like when the Undertaker, because he was so tall and stoic, and he never said anything, and he had that terrible man who carried his ashes around. And I remember like just <laughs> feeling so much for him. I would just be like, "Leave him alone," you know. He's just a big <laughs> misunderstood. You know, I, I'm so <laughs> devoted to these characters and the drama yeah. that they build so well. I love this. Well, guys, you know then, but the, I, can you see how excited I am? Like, my legs are all tucked up under, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm like, oh, my God, we're doing this. We're going in. So you know how I do. Like, I went hard. Oh, yeah. I went hard on professional wrestling, guys. And so this is when I tell you about my sources. And when we talked about making friends and being curious, I, I've listened to your podcast. And by the way, congratulations, by the way, on your three-year anniversary. I mean, that's cool, right? Oh, thank you. Um, and I know that you guys, one of the other things you love is comics. So check yeah. out my primary yes. source for the history is the comic oh, book story fantastic. of professional wrestling. Guys, my That's fantastic. Look at this thing. And if you think that this takes less time to read than a conventional history book, which is kind of what I thought, full disclosure, I was like, great. I'll be able to read a comic book, which I love. These guys will think I'm so cool because I read a comic book. And it, But look at this thing. I mean, it is detailed, girl. It goes from fucking Gilgamesh oh, yeah. to Vince McMahon. It is also truly a work of art. I mean, one of the things you're going to hear me say about pro wrestling again and again is the art form. How much, just, just so beautiful. And like... right. You add the beauty of comic art, how many frames per page. And then, you know, I've watched so cool. It's by the way, it's called the comic book story of professional wrestling by Aubrey Stitterson and Chris Moreno. So good. I'm going to write that down. And then of course, I'm also, it's so good. I'll send you guys the link. 
And then I also awesome. am, of course, watching documentaries and listening to podcasts and stuff. So then when I go back to this comic book, I'm like, they fucking nailed these guys. Like, I recognize these faces. You know what I mean? Like, the comics are also right. expertly drawn. And it is uh, very educational. So that was sort of my, my tome that I kind of kept coming back to. The documentary on Vice, Dark Side of the Ring, was really so good. good. For those of you who have not yet found it, the Dark Side of the Ring is so gritty and so real. So many interviews with individuals who were in the room where it happened. And, and they talk about so many rooms. <laughs> it is a four season. The, the, the quantity of drama and murder mystery and sex scandals and suicides yeah. and unknowns rising to the top. I mean, girl, it is girl. A lot of fun. There's the documentary from 1998, Wrestling with Shadows, which of yeah. course is our guy mm -hmm. Bret Hart detailing the lead up and uh, post uh, Montreal screw job, which was such a huge part of wrestling history. Podcast after podcast, including yours. Of course, I, I suspect you guys listen to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard, sure. of course, is such a great... He was an executive in the WWE for years, so he's... And Brother Love. And Brother Love, exactly. He and shows up Love. again and again. He brought in The Undertaker. <laughs> and then Behind the Bastards <laughs> is a podcast I've referenced before, uh, so good, and he does a four-part series on Vince McMahon, who, spoiler alert, mm. is a real bastard. And Is a bastard. What fun. Yeah. yeah. So here's my plan. Okay, guys. I see. I knew I should have had bourbon. I'll probably go get one in a minute. So <laughs> I feel so naked being so just like early and sober and this turned on right. by history. Um, so here's my plan. Having done all that history and having you guys here, this is, this is what I'm going to attempt to do. I am going to attempt to tell a somewhat comprehensive history of professional wrestling via just one of its many incredible stories, and it is the Montreal Screwjob. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to take the Montreal Screwjob. We're going to kind of tie it lovingly to the headboard, <laughs> and that's going to be the surface on which we explore the rest of this history. Right um, along the way, face up or face down. Exactly. You know what I mean. We have time. We can do either way. <laughs> We can do either way. We'll get we'll get some yoga blocks to accommodate everybody. Yes, yeah. uh, and along the way, I'm going to be asking you both questions to test your knowledge in a bacon on bacon fry off to oh, the man. death. Uh -oh. I know, and the death. It's going to be well, the death of of warm beer because whoever wins gets one of my Hilf branded koozies. Nice. And I'm only going to send one, nice. so you'll fight now, and then you'll fight when it arrives. My audience cannot see you, but I can. And if you cunts start Googling these answers. <laughs> I will not. I, I will not. You will live in shame. I won't do My anything word. to you, except your shame will haunt you for the rest of your life. Shame would haunt me. My word is my bond. <laughs> okay, good. Well, listen, here's, I have a pen. Here's how I'm doing the scoring, okay? I'm going to, you each get a turn answering a question, okay? Most of them are multiple choice. If you get it right, you get a point. If you get it wrong, your opponent has a chance to swoop in and answer that question correctly and get the point for themselves. Mm. Uh-huh. And then we also have some sudden death stuff at the end. Are you guys ready? By the way, I'm 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 obviously the face here because I'm Team Sean. Oh, okay. You're you, are you Brett? So I'm the heel. I'm the heel. All right, okay. I'll I, I'll be I'll be I'll be Team Brett today. 
Oh, all right, all right. So we've got. Look I'll at, be the see, heel. There's I'll heels the heel. and faces. You know why not? Let's give the people some vocab. The face, a face is known as a baby face, which is a term mm-hmm. we get from the old carnival days because there was always like good guy, bad guy matching up. And for a long time, you knew who the good guy was because they were the most handsome. So they were the face was always the good guy and the heel, of course. Yeah. But I think you're both very handsome. You're both very facey. Thank, thank you so much. You're welcome. But Shawn Michaels was a hot heel. So what are you going to do? Um, so are you guys ready to... He was in Playgirl. He was. <gasps> I know. I thought. Don't, you know, I told you I do my research, girl. Like, I did not look at the Playgirl. <laughs> I had to prove it really happened. Um, all right. You guys ready to fuck? Slash fight. Let's do it. Let's fuck. Mike, you get the first question. Um, just because you and you were the one you were emailing with me, and I feel like administrative work should be rewarded <laughs> somehow. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> okay. So, Mike, here is your first question. One of the first references to humans participating in organized wrestling, which is distinguished from just two people brawling for survival, right? Uh, comes from the oldest story ever told which is the Epic of Gilgamesh. If you remember, Epic of Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh wrestles the beast man in Kiddu. It's a huge culmination in the story. So your question is, how old is this story? When was Gilgamesh written? Is it A, 800 AD Rome, B, 1000 BC Greece, or C, 2700 BC Syria? I'm going to go with B. 1000 BC Greece is yes. incorrect. Ooh, 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 we're on the audience. Just, oh, no. All right. That means it's to you, Jimmy. You going to steal this point? I'm going to come in with C. It is the oldest story, and I think I remember that being Syrian. It is. It was 2700 BC Syria, man. Can you believe it? I mean, I think it's literally the oldest. I think people say prostitution is the oldest profession. I think it's tied with wrestling. (laughs) I mean that. I think it could be. (laughs) And are they not kind of? They often happen at the same time. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I agree with you more. And there's wrestling in the Bible, man. Jacob wrestles and angel people wrestle God. I mean, there's wrestling all over these ancient texts, right? Um, then we get into the 1880s. In America, the boom of professional wrestling starts after the Civil War with these like carnival strongman competitions that are traveling, you know, the country. You've but the problem is, if you watch a real legitimate fight, it really can just take forever. It if someone's oh, really yeah. good at evading, if someone's just actually so good they knock them out right away. And one of the things that people realized very early on is that. You kind of got to fix it. You have to fix it. And there are people, this, right. this wrestling book contends that wrestling has been fixed from the very first day. Even though there are a lot of wrestling advocates that say there was an honest time and they're just like, not really. <laughs> not really. The gambling, <laughs> making it a good show and ensuring gambling mm-hmm. was just too lucrative to have not always 
been, uh, you know, a, a big factor. Um, but it was still really dangerous, and you still had to be really, really good and athletic. You still had to know, like, how to pin somebody, how, you know, get get somebody where they're... Because yeah. if somebody wants to not go with the way it was supposed to be fixed, they still have a chance, right, to, like, overpower you or take advantage of you or whatever. Yeah. So these various wrestling styles and schools and teachers start to come up to get you, you know, moves that are either really fun to watch, really flashy, or just actually still really, really good at pinning your opponent and no one's ever seen it before. And, um, and so you get trainers in schools and one of the most famous eventually in North America is run by Stu Hart, Brett, the Hitman Hart's dad. So Jimmy, this question is to you first. All right. Brett, the hitman Hart, comes from this huge, famous wrestling family. His father, Stu Hart, not only trained wrestlers, but he had his own wrestling gym in the basement of their home in Canada that they lovingly called The Dungeon. And there are many legendary stories surrounding the Hart family and growing up wrestlers. The question is, which one of these stories about the Stu Hart wrestling family is not true? Okay. Oh, okay. Which one's not true? A, that Stu Hart had 12 children, all boys became wrestlers, and all the girls married wrestlers. B, that Stu Hart was so prolific that he appeared in Cyndi Lauper's music video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun as her stern finger-shaking father. Or C, the family had a real bear that had retired from the circus that lived under their porch and would wrestle them for fun. <laughs> I'm going to go with... B, because that was Lou Albano. <gasps> Absolutely correct. Jimmy, that's two for you. And Mike, is, I could see you chewing on your hand, Mike. You were like, son of a bitch. Yeah, I got the like, fucking oh, Gilgamesh like, oh, question. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, how do you not know that somebody has a fucking bear under their porch that they hang out with? <laughs> Come on, that's easy. They said they pulled the teeth out of this bear. I don't want to blame the Hart family. I suspect the circus bear lost its teeth years before, right. but they would just be like, "Oh, go get the bear." There's a there's a fun there's a fun story as an aside that that uh, professional wrestler Mick Foley talks about about one time where he wrestled a bear. And he said, like, at first he went in and he, like, tried to, like, do a couple of things to this bear. And then after realizing how strong the bear was, he was immediately like, oh, okay, I'm just going to let whatever happens happen here. I'm just going to go oh, with no. the training. <laughs> I'm just going to get and protect my vital organs and try to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, exactly. At first he was like, well, yeah, we'll put on a show. I'm a big guy. And then he was like, no, bears are, bears, yeah. bears are like, no. strong as 30 guys. This is a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. and apparently, yeah. like, I don't know. You guys have probably seen the videos, too, of Stu Hart in the dungeon training these wrestlers. But it's just oh, like, yeah. yes. it's just like this old, feeble-looking man laying on top of these, you know, screaming, flinching 18-year-old <laughs> football players. And he's just got yeah. one hand, like, on their forearm. And he's just ever so gently moving it back. And they're like, please, sir, my legs are numb. And he's like, okie doke. Yeah. And then you just slide it like that. And he's teaching them how to just completely subdue people. And they're like, we got it. We got it. We got it. He's got, he's got the, like this legendary voice too. Uh, Bruce Pritchard does a great mm. uh, impression of Stu Hart. Yeah, he's got that voice that's like, I smoke filterless cigarettes and chew glass. Right. Yeah, totally. But too. also like his voice was very like stern. But he, every time you see him, he looks like the sweetest 
toothless bear himself. Right. You know yeah, what I right. mean? <laughs> um, and he ran, he didn't just train wrestlers and like love wrestling. He of course had been a wrestler himself, but he also ran a promotion and you had talked Jimmy about how, when you were a kid, you saw one of these independent shows it would have been kind of like that. These smaller promotions yeah. usually in geographic ran sort of a, a, a limited geographic area and they organized all the fights. They would manage wrestlers and his was called stampede and it was in Canada and his, his biggest star wrestler was his son. One of his sons, um, Bret Hart. And in 1984, Vince McMahon buys, not just the stampede, promotion the whole thing but he essentially buys his son you know he buys his contract mm -hmm. and bret hart becomes the biggest wrestler in the wwf which is where the cunt uh known as vince k mcmahon comes into our story and you guys it's so yes. funny there are very few figures that are just so universally disdained like it's so easy to hate vince mcmahon but it's also like if you love wrestling you can love wrestling and you can hate Vince McMahon, yeah. but you can't yes. love wrestling and take Vince McMahon out of it. Like you're, whether yeah, you like it or not, true. your love of wrestling includes this guy. He's third generation. His grandfather is Jesse McMahon. He was working in wrestling in 1915, right? His dad is Vince J McMahon from whom he bought WW. I mean, it, you know what I mean? It's like hating your dad. It's like, look, it's half your DNA. Yeah. There's just nothing you can do. Right, right. It's funny because it was like this family business. And then if anybody's watching or pays attention now, currently, instead of, uh, instead of handing it down or selling it to one of his two kids that have at different times run the promotion, he sold it off to uh, a complete different third party, that TKO thing. Yeah. So, uh, so. Yeah, no, you'd kind of love UFC, to hate WWE. him, but see his legacy live on somehow. You're still just like right. You're kind of like kind of like yeah. Stephanie was doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it stinks. Yeah. And you know, and and his heyday too. I mean, this is really like Brett Brett Hart coming in is is when Vince McMahon starts his rise. Even though, as we've said, he's always been in the mix. This is like the eighties, nineties right. is. I mean, this, these are the wrestlers I like to say that my mom has heard of. You know what I mean? These are the wrestlers that were ubiquitous cultural figures that, that went beyond the art form. You had Ric Flair, Sergeant Slaughter, Mr. T, right? Hulk, motherfucking right, right. Hogan is on your Wheaties, man. And, and right. also the WWF had this, all wrestling, but at this time they had really epitomized putting together two diametrically opposed figures, a real hero and a real heel that, that resonated with the times, you know? And this is where we get to our next question for Mike. Are you ready to redeem yourself, Mike? I believe in you. I think so. Pro wrestling showdowns have often had ripped from the headlines face-offs, right? One of the most famous was in 1984, took place in Madison Square Garden when Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik in a five-minute match. Your question is, what major global event fueled the audience's explosive approval even though the match was so short? Normally, you know, the audience, they don't want you to beat, and they, even if they love these guys, they don't want it to go right. five minutes. The fight was over in five minutes. Everyone had paid top dollar, and they were fucking delighted. What was the major event that made them feel that way? 
Hmm. Oh, oh, is this? It's not multiple choice. It's not. This one's not multiple choice. It's 1984. Oh. Here are your clues. 1984. Hulk Hogan beats the Iron Sheik. Uh, well, it's got to be something with the uh, with the Middle East. Good. I forgot what the. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Damn it! You said the Middle East. You are correct. It is specifically Iran. Uh, I don't know. The Iran hostage crisis. Jimmy, I didn't even give you a chance to answer that one. Would you have gotten it? Not. Would you have gotten it? I would have not. (laughs) I I, actually, I was going to say there. No ground. I was. I was going to say the. uh, I was going to say the Iran Contra hearings. You would have gotten one of the words correct. It was. Yes, and the the rest of them were wrong. So uh, (laughs) two out of three, (laughs) incorrectly. Oh, I I was trying to think of what it was too, but I was like, shit. That's all right, you guys. This see, this is like I I was I I was like maybe I should give him multiple choice. Then I was like, what the hell else would have been going on in 1984? Other than I was born in 1984, so like it could have been your birth. It could have been that Hulk Hogan was like, he's the one. He's the one. I'm going to kick this Iranian's ass. <laughs> In honor of the birth of Mike Woman. There you it, go. It happens. It happens. Who we shall love. Well, this and this kind of thing. I mean, Madison Square Garden alone, to just have a match in the garden had was one of the things that had legitimized pro wrestling in the decades before this because it was like these they could sell out the biggest arenas in the world and people would pay all this money and then we've got this guy Hulk Hogan and WWF is like unstoppable and then right we get the steroid situation right. with our guy Hulk Hogan right. and and this is one of the first like cracks you know in the armor and we have also got these great you know face offs between good guys and bad guys and after the steroid scandal it just weakened that ability. I mean, among other things, among losing the veneer and having the guy who was like, eat, take your vitamins and eat your <laughs> breakfast was like, oh, was, and shoot steroids into your ass. And sh- yeah. He was, you know. Um, but they were, there was this like- Steroids, goodbye. vitamins. It, you know, some, it, is a Flintstone vitamin going to fit in your vein? Not without exactly. effort. I think we can all agree. Yeah. Um, but we have, but all of a sudden, like after they lose Hulk Hogan or not, lo- I mean, they lose him, but they've all, you know, he's fallen from grace. The WWF is like, Oh God. And they, they really f- manufacture a, a, a strong good guy, bad guy face off. That's going to continue to get everybody back into WWF. And they find that in Brett, the Hitman Hart, our hero, he's honest, he's humble. He's a wrestling legend. And then the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, who is the heel, he is arrogant, he is selfish, he is rude, right? And, um, and this, this matchup uh, becomes a, a critical piece to the success of the WWF. Um, and that yeah. is where we are going to take a short break. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. 
Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Dylan. And I'm Cameron. And we're the hosts of Barstool Film School, a conversational comedy podcast about the very best bar movies. You know, the ones that are like perfect to watch when you're hanging out in a bar with friends. Now, uh, I'm a writer and a film school washout. And I'm a bar owner. So we ought to know what we're talking about. <laughs> you would hope. Tune in every other week, wherever you get your pods, as we take on a new flick. And we will pair those flicks with some cocktails. To see if they pass the bar. Now, uh, what do you say, Cam? Shall we pour ourselves another round? Let's do it. All right. Hey, before we head back into the ring, friends, I have a whole slew of new patrons to thank. Nine of them. Nine! Their support and generosity have just come running down the aisle, swinging chairs and putting the iron claw on my financial woes. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Jenna M. the Jackal. Isabel D, Dungeon Master, Janny B, Janny B kicking your butt, <laughs> Heather M, Heather M is for murder, Tony D, the Dynamite King, Matthew L, Master of Disaster, Sherry W, will double your pain, Molly K, the High Kick Kid, and Madison W, the Mad Dog. <laughs> if you'd like to join forces with us, have access to bonus episodes, get Hilf merch and hear your name here next time, yes, go to patreon.com slash hilfpodcast, and then... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow I'm just so glad you guys are here. I'm having a blast. I will admit I'm feeling a little bad. I feel like kind of like I was the cool substitute teacher. And then I asked Mike two actual history questions. And, and I think that you felt a little injured by that. Does that seem fair? Uh, I don't feel like you, because you, you're not, I'll be honest, you're not doing great. Jimmy has two points. You have exactly none. I'm, gonna, yeah, I'm just going to interject I'm here gonna for honest. a second. I'm going to interject sure. here for a second. The first question Within the question, you gave away the answer because you said the oldest story ever told, and then you gave uh. three dates, one being clearly the oldest, and because he didn't pick up on that, that is no excuse. You know, no, you know, uh, my, my only defense to that, my only defense mm. to that is I, I hadn't had a drink yet. That's so his only defense. That's his only defense, which is unfortunate. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, you could probably yeah, have no, a better yeah, one. I, be like, once I've had a few I drinks, I pick up subtle clues way better. Exactly. <laughs> I'm way better at things. I, you know what? Listen, yeah. I, I, I'm, I am probably the best teacher you're ever going to have. I'm not grading this. It's, uh, you know, it's all for koozies. And saying things like, I'm sorry, ma'am, I wasn't drunk enough works in my class. <laughs> that's that's why we get along. Go. This is a whole new round. We have a whole new round. We have more questions. The first one is going to go to Jimmy. And remember, if he gets it right, he gets a point. But you have a chance, Mike, if he gets it wrong, to swing right in there. So you can steal. We have, as we, as we, in our first half, uh, you know, we set up a little bit of the importance of the face-off in the WWF between Brett the Hitman Hart and the Heartbreak Kid. Shawn Michaels. And it was, like I said, this this great face-off because you have a hero in Bret Hart. 
just he's he was flashy. He wore a leather jacket, but he was nice. You know what I mean? He was no shades. Yeah, I mean he shit. I mean he would he was a wrestler. He was me, and he talked shit. Yeah, but he was like yeah. a good guy. You know what I mean? And and Shawn Michaels is he? I mean he puts the Canadian flag up his nose, and he humps mm. the flag in the middle of the thing, and he. Just an any any oh I'm the greatest. He's a he's an obvious heel and it's so much fun. And and they genuinely don't like each other. They were friends for a minute, but they hit the skids because of some insults that went too deep and probably a little jealousy. There's all sorts of factors, but they get into a real fist fight in the green room, behind the scenes and off camera. Okay, and during this fist fight, Bret Hart pulls out a clump of Shawn Michaels' hair. Jimmy. Shawn then picks up this clump of hair. He takes it into the boss's office. He slams it on the desk and yells what phrase? A. This is an unsafe working environment. B. The next scalp will be yours or C look what that bitch did to my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you right now, I really want it to be C, but I'm going to go with a, <laughs> why are you growling? Mike? Why are you growling? Mike? <laughs> because I care about wrestling history. I don't care about world history. Oh, those are, oh. No, I'm, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm, joking i'm joking who's the heel now i have done Listen, nothing man, and- but tried to tie wrestling history to global history for you for you that's what they call a double switch though too i became the face he became the heel amazing amazing you know yeah. what this is a good opportunity actually let's go through some vocab you want a chance to get some points back mike and i think you should because it's really not looking great for you right now i'm desperate i'm desperate <laughs> all right i tell you what i have a list of wrestler lingo here and this will be of benefit to our listeners because they may not be as in tune as we are and may be missing some of these amazing references right to what's going on so to give us some we've talked about we talked about a face and we talked about a heel I tell you, I'm going to give you two wrestling terms. And if you can define them perfectly and in completion, Jimmy and I both go, yeah, that's correct. I'll give you a point. Fair. This is, this is out of the blue. Okay. This is out of pure generosity. And this is, this is my bra- brass knucks in the tights. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yep. Okay. Yep. So uh, what is a work? A work is when something plays out in real life, but is not actually happening. So, like, a working punch is when a wrestler punches somebody, Mm -hmm. but is not actually hitting them. Okay. It's a working punch. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is, I accept that. Jimmy, any notes? I was I was gonna say the first half of that felt like you were it started giving me to be the, the wrong opposite. the opposite right. Right. right but then you no, went, but then no, you no. but like, then you got like, it in you you yes. working working the boys Correct. that's a work is yeah, exactly right. a work is anything planned the thing that is a punch but they knew this punch is coming 
That's great. Okay, one now the next one, and you get your point. What gotta, is gotta get on the board? A mark. A mark, mm. Jimmy. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, no, Jimmy. So, <gasps> a mark. <laughs> actually. So so actually, mark. I am aghast. If, if we want to talk history, mm. and and I'll redeem myself when, uh, from from a history. I'll decide point. if you redeem uh, yourself from the history side. Uh, I, I will. I accept that. I accept that. So back when you were talking about in the carnivals, it's basically when these con men's con men, they would label people as a mark of people that they could con. Yeah. Uh, so basically, people who are you know, uh, who believe in it and and are easy target, mm. so to speak. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's not a very great term. No one wants to be the mark. Um, there, there's. They say there are varying degrees of pejorative undertones. But it, yeah, it generally means this fucking idiot will probably buy it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Hey, that's in two the, out of two. I'm making a little mark next to your name here on my pad of paper. Look at yes! that. You're on the board. You're, you're just a small mark. Oh. I'm just a small mark. <laughs> little bitty. Baby Mark. Um, and there's a term that I really want to get out uh, now because it's, it is it is about to play heavily into our story, and that is kayfabe. Um, kayfabe was a term that I understood what kayfabe was, and I didn't realize it had a word. And like most great words, it's as, it's as um, squishy as the idea that it defines. <laughs> Nobody really knows exactly where the word kayfabe came from i started writing it down as like k-pop like the letter k dash and then i realized it's no k-a-y it's a word kayfabe that no no one knows the origin but the what kayfabe is is the illusion of wrestling it has a little bit to do with those two terms that mike just defined work and mark in the sense that it's the pretend planned part of the fight intended to sort of dupe people into believing it's real but it's also the sacred part of wrestling in the sense that a lot of people describe kayfabe as the brotherhood the 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 quietly agreed upon illusion that we are protecting for the sake of ourselves but also for the sake of the fans who love us so much and that means that they know don't we even if they know it's fixed we never let them know we know how this is going to end we never let them know that the heel and the face are driving home as friends at the end of this thing we we protect the kayfabe the illusion of wrestling at all costs for some people it is as sacred as any faithful brotherhood as any religious pact you know i mean you jimmy talked about that feeling when you went to that wrestling match and you felt the crowd and you said you were pulled in and then you like touched someone like they were holy you know i mean i think it's fair to say that kayfabe is essentially the faith part of wrestling yeah i i think one of the coolest things i also kayfabe just this year got added to the dictionary. You yeah. did it's it. a real word. Oh. So it is it has now been added. I, I recently heard that. But uh I'm so glad. I'm so sorry to interrupt are... you, but I one of the things I love about yeah, knowing yeah. that it's being defined now is I like using it in terms of talking about like I think politicians use kayfabe. And I don't and I don't know if yes. there's a better word 
than kayfabe to describe right. or even in your own family i think you do a little kayfabe in the kitchen when you're talking oh, about mm-hmm. you know what i mean i think people can really understand it and i'm so glad it has a, a definition <laughs> yeah i thought that was really cool too and i i love part of the history of wrestling how how much they the, the lengths they went to to be there like we were talking about the undertaker and and here was a guy that once he became that character he dressed in black and everything like anywhere he was seen he would not be seen in like a hawaiian shirt and shorts no. and crocs because he was like that's going to ruin if somebody sees me and believes they're going to see this and now they're going to not be able to the, those two things don't jive anymore. Yeah. And also, like, the, the way that they, they work in the ring, kayfabing can be anything from, like, um, little things. Like, if I, if I wait too long for, to, to, to go do my move and leave you standing in the ring, like, wobbling around, it doesn't protect you. It makes you look stupid. The audience right. looks, and they're pulled out of it, and they're like, what? So everything's about protecting everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's protecting it from people that just want to like take the beach ball away at the concert. Yeah. They're just people that want to ruin the fun of it. Right. And so they're just like, no, nah, man, it's fun. So let's all work together to let's keep this fun. Let's make it as fun as possible. You know? Totally. Right. Totally. As a kid, I feel like I sort of understood kayfabe first from the movie Princess Bride and the Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Like, yes. That's kayfabe, yes. man. Like, I, I completely <laughs> get it. And this, and it was so critical. As you said, this is not just important for the wrestlers it's important for the promoters to continue to make money it's important to the fans and we have during this period when bret hart and Shawn michaels are starting to feud there are some significant cracks in the kayfabe that are coming as a result of a real life feud between Vince McMahon and Ted Turner and the WWF and the WCW. So, you know, Vince McMahon had bought up the Stampede promotion. He had gotten all these promotions and and the WWF had been king shit. And then the steroids thing started to bring them down and the WCW started to rise up and they had more money. And there were all sorts of alignments that suddenly brought the WWF a true competitor for the first time in a long time. And this culminates in the Monday Night Wars in the mid-90s, we're in the same time slot. The WWF and the WCW had their hugest fights, and it was Monday Night Raw and Nitro. And they're duking it out for ratings, and they're trying to steal talent from each other. And there had been a huge defection from the WWF champion Alondra Blaze, who went to the WCW, and when she did, she threw her WWF belt in the garbage as like a fuck the WWF. And she changed her name back to her WCW name of Medusa. And that was like, Ooh, that sucked. But it wasn't that bad because it didn't break kayfabe a little bit later though. You get these guys and they're called the click K L I Q. And it's uh, some villains and some heroes in the WWF who have formed almost like a mini union where they're like, we, you book us together. They kind of set their rates. They were unified working as a group. And there's this huge match where a couple of the guys in the click are leaving the WWF to go to the WCW. And they know the fans don't know, but they know that this is like their last big match together. And when the match is over, they hug like a bunch of buddies who just finished a show 
and love each other and yep. are saying goodbye and not like a bunch of wrestlers who have all this anger and beef and whatever. And that broke kayfabe. And a lot of people were like, what the fuck? There was like real heartbreak and like real nervousness, you know, going on in wrestling. So you have all of this like WCW versus WWF and it's a real fight, but they're in and out of kayfabe. It's goddamn chaos. And this is where part of your question comes in, Mike. And you have one on the board and it's so lonely. Your one little point. <sighs> yeah. It's inevitable. My little it's mark. One little mark that you're that during this time, of course, the WCW is going to come to WWF's biggest star, Bret Hart, and make him an offer. Like that that didn't seem the most far-fetched idea. And when they do, Bret Hart, who is, again, that line between fake and real, is a really good guy who really is kind of honest and decent and like loves wrestling, goes to Vince McMahon. And kind of gives him a chance to counter offer, you know, because he wants to stay in the WWF. In 1996, Mike, Vince McMahon makes Brett an unprecedented offer to stay in the WWF. What is it? A. Oh, it's a. You, you, it is multiple choice. Well, but if you really want to kick my, kick my boozes, you can. No, say, no, no. Go. go. I, I know it's 20 years, but go all ahead right, and, and right. you can do this. Is it A, $2 million every year for 15 years? B, $1.5 million every year for 20 years? Or C, no financial raise, but full creative control of his character? Yep, it was it was B. Absolutely B. $1.5 million for 20 years. Can you imagine a wrestler believing that they're going to be wrestling? In 20 years, knowing that you're going to get a million and a half dollars every year for 20 years, like no matter what, like, wow. Yeah. And holy shit, right? And as the weeks and months go on, and I'm sure Bret Hart, and you can see it in the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, is like, oh, that's good. And his wife is like, that's great. (laughs) Like, this is great. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the WCW continues to shoot the money gun at this fight, they are buying up wrestlers for exorbitant amounts and then not wrestling them, just keeping them kind of like record companies do just like keeping them Mm -hmm. away from the WWF. And eventually Vince McMahon, whether this is true or not expresses to Brett, he can't afford that contract. He gave him. He's like, I am being bled dry. I can't can't retain you. I can't retain anything. I'm in dire financial straits. I'm giving up your contract and I'm saying, go, go to the WCW, like take their money because I can't meet, meet it anymore. And it kind of breaks his heart, right? But he, he does. Now, what traditionally happens in this moment, friends, when a champion is leaving, they generally, within the kayfabe, they drop the belt. And what that means is they lose. They either, they either lose their belt to the next person who's coming up to be the new champion in their organization, or they give it away. Something, something in the kayfabe, they drop the belt and they go on to wherever they're going to go without it. And this is how, this is how Bret Hart got it. Ric Flair dropped the belt to Bret Hart. And so he is very you know, aware that this is how it goes. And so Vince McMahon is like, okay, you're going to the WCW, you're going to drop the belt and you're going to drop the belt to Shawn Michaels. Oh. In Montreal. In Montreal. Yes. And this, Shawn Michaels. In your Michaels, hometown. Where, where Shawn Michaels has put the Canadian flag up his nose and humped it in the middle of the ring, and we have really played up this, like, USA versus Canada thing, and, and you're the good guy. You're going to lose to a heel 
in your hometown. Oh, it was too much. And Brett was like, I'm not going to do it. And I told you in that multiple choice, the full creative control of his character, that was a little ploy, Mike, because it wasn't, he didn't get full creative. He got the last 30 days he asked for. He goes, the last Mm -hmm. 30 days I get to decide. And that meant essentially his whole point was, I don't want to lose in Montreal. I'll drop the belt. I'll do the thing, but I'm not going to, we have to figure out how this match can go. That isn't me losing to Shawn Michaels in Montreal. He even offered to come out and lose it the next day. He offered to yeah. lose it the next day. Yeah. And, and also, mm-hmm. fun little behind-the-scenes thing, he went to Sean yes. and beforehand and told him that uh, he would have no problem losing the title to him and bygones be bygones and all that. And Sean said, thank you for uh, saying that, but I, would not, I will not do the same for you. Like right to his face. He was just like, yeah. Yeah. And that, again, that beauty of the line between real and fake in wrestling, right, is that the fact is Bret Hart was a really good, decent guy who was kind of trying to be friends, and Shawn Michaels was kind of an arrogant prick who was like, yeah, um, I won't be good to you. Can't can't say I will. Yeah. Uh, Whoa. And so this, yet again, sort of solidified Brett's like line in the sand, which is like, I'm not losing to this prick in Montreal. Like, figure something else out. And And what they figure out... What is generally agreed upon, the understanding going in is that this match in Montreal will end with a chaos. It's called a run-in, right? And uh, a schmaz, yeah, schmaz. Mike, a tell schmaz, us, describe, yeah. describe, <laughs> describe to us what, how a match that's ending in a schmaz is going to look. Well, at the at the time, uh, you had the Hart Foundation, was which was the. They were only faces in Canada. They were heels everywhere else but Canada. And there was five of those guys. And then uh, you had Degeneration X, which was, you know, Shawn Michaels and Triple H. And what a schmoz is, is uh, coined by uh, the late, great Pat Patterson, who was also a Montreal create, uh, native. He, he actually called it a schmoz because everybody would just jump in the ring and just start brawling. Mm-hmm. So there was no real like finish. There was no one, two, three or any rules being, you know, being adhered to and just completely. I used like to love said. those man. And they, and even though it's sort of like a, a, a slap in a soap opera, you know, you see it coming, you know, it's going to happen. You just can't wait. Right. And it's usually, there's a moment where like, it's almost it's it's culmination. It's anticipation. Two two characters are about to end. Looks like this match is going to end, and then someone with a chair and two guys run in, and they used to be. And it's always the drama too. Those two used to be on a tag team with that guy, right. and they or these. This is a sex scandal. There's a triangle. She's jealous. This has nothing to do with wrestling. This is purely personal, or <laughs> you know. And and it's out of, and the referee, of course, is like, oh my god. There's that the referee cannot possibly, <laughs> uh, you know. And I can't count to three this way. And the key to the schmaz when used in this moment is it's uh, chaos and disqualification. And and in the official rules of wrestling, a disqualification means no one technically lost. Yeah. So what we get with a schmaz, what we get with this run in in the course of writing the fight and by writing, I mean, you know, creating (laughs) like playwriting the fight. Right. Right. Is that, uh, 
everyone will get what they want. It'll be a great show. It'll be very violent. It'll be very exciting to watch. Brett won't have to lose as Sean will still get the belt the next day and everybody's happy. And even as a new fan to wrestling, you know what I mean? I feel like you guys have been married to her and I just have taken her on a few dates, you know, um, <laughs> that even I agree that's not right. You have to winners and losers, man. Like yeah. a gentlemanly yeah. handing off of the belt just ain't how things roll here. And this is coming from a girl who loves love and peace and joy and everyone should always be friends. And I'm like, you got to hit each other a lot. Like, that's how it goes. You yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, if there's a title involved. Totally. <laughs> November 9th, 1997, the night of the match arrives. And the official plan, what people are, have agreed on, what they've talked about, is this disqualification via the schmaz, via the run-in. And, and here's specifically how it's going to go. Shawn Michaels will, at some point near the end of the match, when they have fought <laughs> sufficient amounts of time, right, he's going to get Brett into the sharpshooter, which is Brett's own move. Oh my God, you know, putting his own move on him in his own hometown and it'll look and, and, and Brett will sufficiently, no, no, no. And then the run-in will happen. He'll get out of the sharpshooter and that's the chaos, right? And the match happens and they get to the point where Shawn Michaels has Brett in the sharpshooter and ding, 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 fuck. The match is over, and the first thing that happens is that Herb Hebner, <laughs> the, the, the ref, runs out of the He climbs between the ropes yeah. and fucking runs to his car. Yeah. Bret Hart stands up, looks fucking pissed off, spits in Vince McMahon's face, smashes computers, skywrites, W-C-W with his finger in the air. And later, off camera, he punches Vince McMahon hard enough to knock him briefly unconscious. Bro oh, my God. Broke his jaw, too, right? I think he broke his I jaw. No, he didn't break his jaw. He, he, got a, he got a black eye and a concussion. He was hurt. Concussion, yeah. But he was yeah. He, yeah. He, he was hurt. He so fucked Jimmy, him up. He fucked him up. Now, we have, uh, as the score stands, we have three for Jimmy, two for Mike. Jimmy, this next question comes to you. And it's a history question. So, Mike, this is fair. I feel like. All right. Feel like, all right. All right. Yeah. There's a lot of controversy over who in the WWF originally decided to double cross Brett. But it was not only not the first time this kind of double cross had happened in wrestling, it wasn't the first time that it had happened in Montreal. In 1931, there was a match between Henry DeGlaine and Ed the Strangler Lewis, who, by the way, this is for my mom. He was from Nakusa, Wisconsin, mom. And like, <laughs> like, and oh. thank you, this is where my dad lives. Like in 1997, there was a moment when Ed Lewis is having his own move used against him, and he was scripted to get out of it. But he's double-crossed when his opponent instead does what, thus stealing the victory from Lewis? Does he A, pretend to have a heart attack and go to the hospital? Does he B, break Strangler Lewis's arm, sending him to the hospital? Or C, fakes that Lewis bit him by showing a bite mark his coach planted on him earlier? 
Wow. I I have no idea. Mm. Um hmm. It's a it was supposed to be so, a victory, but it ended in a disqualification instead because of one of these. Right. I'm going to say if it was a disqualification. As, as much as it sounds like something that probably wouldn't work, I'm going <laughs> to go with the the bite mark thing. Just because no, I'm going to go with the broken arm. No, I'm going to go with the bite mark. Final answer. <laughs> that was so exciting. It is the bite mark. Oh, oh my god. All right. You had you almost snatched victory. From the mouth. <laughs> How are you doing, Mike? When, Did you know? when you switched your when you switched your answer, I was like, "Yes, I got this! I got this!" <laughs> oh man! Oh, that was close. That's... I was I was like I was like, "How long does a bite mark last?" It would have to, to be serious, right? His coach. Oh yeah. Coach. And then I was like, "If it's if it's not tele if it's not televised, how do they sell that?" Is what's happening in the arena. Oh. So but, he did. He yeah, showed the so. ref a bite mark that his coach had given him before the before the match that they planted for just that moment. Wow. And after this, okay, there's the fight, the chaos. Brett Brett Hart exposes Kayfabe on a level that had never happened before. Kayfabe had been broken. There'd been there'd been cracks. There'd been some you know pieces in the illusion. But Bret Hart goes on interviews on television, and and explains. This is how we agreed the fight would end. And then this is how they ended it. And that is about as nude (laughs) as you can make kayfabe. And that rendered Bret Hart really kind of an unforgivable sin. That as good as a wrestler as he was, as, as long as his legacy had gone, that like that was destroying the faith, right? Then, though, Vince McMahon goes on this interview and says, essentially... He did it to himself. He didn't follow the rules, and that's why we hit him with the newspaper, which renders Vince McMahon right. completely unlikable. So now you've got unforgivable Bret Hart with this unlikable Vince McMahon, and you'd think that's the end of the story, but this is the beautiful part of the ever-blooming rose that is professional wrestling. <laughs> It bloomed from the fertilizer of things like the 1931 screw job, right? It, 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 then Vince McMahon leans in and kayfabes the shit out of himself, becoming the character of the evil boss, Vince McMahon. Yep. Walks into arenas that chant, asshole, asshole, <laughs> and he just loves it. And, and, Bret Hart <laughs> wrestles Ed McMahon to ultimately bury this whole story. Like 20, McMahon, 20 yeah. years later, Vince McMahon and Bret Hart meet again in the WWF. This is after, by the way, Bret Hart's real brother, Owen, dies from what was almost certainly the fault of the WWF not taking care of his safety when he fell yeah. from the sky. This is after Bret Hart has lost his career at the WCW. The feud, the real feud, settled with art beautifully in the ring. There's a there's a match that happened in 2012 where where Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels fucking hug. They yeah. hug, they apologize, yeah. and they hug. So well, that was beautiful. that was when he that was when Brett first came back for yeah. that that match with with Vince and 
I was at that match. <gasps> with uh with with Brent oh. and Vince. Was it so satisfying and so soul soothing? It was awful. Oh. It was it was kind of <laughs> the the crowd was kind of dead, but but again, with with the art thing, uh Shawn Michaels later that night would go on to have his career uh versus career match with Undertaker mm. and lose it. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. So for a long time, I saw so Shawn Michaels' Brett, last Shawn Michaels. match as That's well. That's just awesome. Yeah, Brett, Brett and Vince finish their thing. Brett and Shawn finish their thing. And then Shawn ends his career same night. Isn't it crazy? I mean, it's beautiful. I do have one final question for you guys. It's hard because it's it's, it, it is more about you selling it. In the true spirit of wrestling... <laughs> there is no right or wrong. There is no true or fake. This is this is to you guys to sell it. Here is the question I posed to both of you, and you can take turns answering. I'll have Mike go first. Are you ready? It's a big one. Go ahead. Make your case to me. Who was the greatest wrestler of all time? Oh, man. <sighs> well... What sucks is that you've, and here another another term, we can use. Uh, you've buried Shawn Michaels here. <gasps> Thank uh, you. Shawn Michaels is <sighs> is the best wrestler of all yes, time. Yes, tell me why. As a as a like a an, like a to cap off the the Montreal Screwjob stuff. If you listen to and and hear some of the things that Brett has said over the years and then like what other people involved has said over the years um brett uh, and and you could say okay well you know rightfully so he should be bitter that kind of stuff i think a lot of that montreal screwjob business had to do with his ego Hmm. and i think he was he was screwed over because of his ego but and and he says a lot of really nasty shit about everybody and uh even after you know even after bearing the hatchet and stuff he still says nasty shit about everybody mm-hmm. and it's like mm, okay you sound like a really bitter old man sometimes nice. but otherwise sometimes he doesn't but okay so Shawn michaels uh dude was he you could put him in literally any kind of situation and he can make it great and he makes you want to watch it no matter what it is, uh, it could be a promo, it could be a, uh, it could be a match, it could be a, uh, out of the ring kind of thing. The dude, the dude had it all. No matter, like, didn't matter. And and, yeah, as as a young guy, he was a little bit of an asshole. He, he became a little bit less of an asshole when he got <laughs> Don't older. Don't we all? <laughs> but when he was, yeah, right, exactly. But but, no matter what you put him in, it was always must watch. Um. When it came to a promo, listening to Bret Hart was like watching paint dry. <laughs> it just was. Mm. All right. Unless he was, unless he was shitting on the U.S. <laughs> Otherwise, he he his promos were like watching All paint right. dry. Now you know I will say one thing I really appreciated about. Shawn Michaels was that in this whole lead up to the screw job when Bret Hart was thinking about all the things that could go wrong, like how he could get screwed, he didn't really think that Sean would like 
try to hurt him. Like there wasn't that he was going to talk shit that Shawn Michaels had been like, I'm not going to say that, do the same mm-hmm. to you. That was all about, that was all within kayfabe. He was like, I'm not going to back off or like be nicer to Canada leading up to the thing or whatever. I think that's what it was. I don't think that Bret Hart had any fear that Shawn Michaels was going to sucker punch him or, you know, cause he even does well, apparently think- during the, the sharp sharpshooter, the move that Shawn Michaels actually did it wrong. And Bret Hart had to like yeah. flip his legs, Correct had to like him. flip yeah. his legs the other way so that the hold would go the correct way. So as a tip of the hat to your nomination of Shawn Michaels, I will say I was, he's hot. Let's not lie about it. He's very hot. And he also didn't take a, take a punch or bite the guy. You know what I mean? Do the thing when maybe he could. have. Yeah. And, and that, that whole story, the, the legend of him saying, I would take care of you, but you, you know. I I appreciate you t- saying you take care of me, but I wouldn't take care of you. That's something that has been said, and it's been said in folklore. But uh, there was actually a DVD done where they sit the two of them down in a room with Jim Ross, uh, legendary voice of wrestling, and they literally talk the whole thing. Oh. And never once, mm-hmm. never once when they were together, did that ever come up. And that's, that's never come up face to face. And they, they had some really uncomfortable situations in that interview, that face to face. It's so interview. fun. It's like after Drag Race. Like, do you guys watch RuPaul's Drag Race? It's sort of like when all those have, queens yeah. come together at the end of the show and start talking about who took oh, each yeah. other's lashes. Like, it's all very. Um, right, right. <laughs> so, Mike, you have made your case that the greatest wrestler of all time is, is not only a subject of the story we told today. But Shawn Michaels, who didn't you feel like didn't get his didn't get his due? I've, I'm I'm I hear you, Jimmy. Make your case. Who is the greatest wrestler of all time? All right, I will I will agree with Mike on Shawn Michaels being the greatest in ring performer. Oh my God. of all time, Shawn. But if I have to pick the greatest wrestler of all time, I have to not even look at like not even my favorite. Not even somebody I particularly enjoyed watching, but I have to say Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler of all time. Because Ric Flair is a champion, was a world champion back before it was just on one TV show. And so he was going to other promotions and he was going to other countries not to wrestle people that were in his, like in WCW or in NWA. He would go to Japan and he would wrestle whoever the best wrestler in Japan of whatever federation Japan had mm-hmm. was. He is a pop culture icon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is still relevant today. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I just think that the, the argument to be made, just the length of his career and that he was always forever on year? top. Incredible on the microphone. Had a great ma- had great matches with everyone in every style, and was able to maintain that kind of success forever while remaining a pop culture icon and keeping it relevant. Therefore, the- thus bringing pro wrestling to people that wouldn't have normally watched it, and I think that's another big part I, of that as well. I I I'm gonna have to. I'm tapping. Tap that ding, ding, that's ding. That's you tapping. I got it. Cheers. Cheers hey, to you, God buddy. damn, Jimmy. You know what? What a gentleman. You guys are such gentlemen. I, I love this. I mean, can you guys believe it? Look at how full circle this has come. We, we met face to face the first time today. 
We had we had a, a wonderful sensual hilfing of the one true sport. Yeah. I yes. am so that is grateful. Art. I am so grateful that you reached out. I I not to put too fine a point on it, but I do love love. And I really do think that your general beating heart of bacon is my podcast really does get at the same thing that wrestling and hilf, you know, it's this feeling of irreverence and humor to encapsulate the beating heart of the single most important thing on earth, you know? And I really, I really value that. And I just think you guys are cool. And I had a lot of fun fucking the history of professional wrestling. And, um, and I'm just so grateful that you came on today. No, thank you so thank much. You. This has been a blast. Um, and I, I agree. Like, yeah. uh, it's the, the answers to questions are never, never as important as the connection between people who are asking and answering the questions, right? Mm. When you get to the personality and you get to the heart and you get to like, you figure out why people answer the way they do and why they talk the way they do. And what is it that connects everybody? And that's what the whole thing's about anyway. And I think that's awesome. So thank you very much. Oh, it was a joy. And and I get <laughs> to come on your podcast very soon. Yes. Oh, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait to we hear are... the seven questions. I will I will thoroughly <laughs> I will douche or something beforehand. <laughs> we're going to have our Wednesday show. Yours is dropping on a Wednesday. So what we're going to actually do is have a message for people on our feed to say, "Hey, we don't have a Wednesday episode. Go here." Ah. And then that'll lead to Friday, which you're going to get to do your seven yeah. questions, and then uh, the full-on episode. Oh, you! Yeah. not only are you handsome and you love love, but you think ahead. My God. He's a good planner. Well, that's good, because he, he lost this game bad. I gotta, you got to be good at something. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Jimmy and Mike for joining me. Uh, you can go right now to Bacon Is My Podcast, or BIMP if you're nasty, <laughs> and uh, hear not only my awesome episodes with them, uh, but dive headfirst into their whole catalog. Uh, you'll find them wherever you're listening to me, uh, YouTube, or click the link in our show notes. Now, our next new episode is about another historic fight, the one between England and the American colonies. Uh, I'm helping the Boston Massacre, baby, and with none other than Boston natives, Dave Houghton and Sarah Retallick, the hosts of In a Pickle, um, a podcast about the less glamorous side of sports. <laughs> it's hot. Don't miss that. <laughs> Until then, our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com, or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. This has been Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. 